Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored by us and the Read Harder Journal. Created by Book Riot, the smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books. Get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant. Find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation and explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal for your copy. Thanks again for sponsoring today's show. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 46, and we're recording on February 8th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we're talking about fantasy and sci-fi set in space. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not good at that. Perfect. (laughs) That's perfect. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) This episode, (laughs) yeah, it's been a long time coming. Like, I don't know why we didn't do this one sooner. (laughs) I think, you know, when some of it seems so Maybe it feels very obvious. And then yeah. there's also the, there. it does get a little complicated with the fantasy set in mm. space sometimes. Like, I feel like I'm seeing more of those books come out recently. Yeah. But um, before, I remember we did something similar. Maybe it was like Princesses in Space or something. Oh, yeah. And I remember being like, uh, <laughs> what <laughs> do I choose? Where are these books? So... Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Like this, this seems so like on the nose, but it's kind of perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, before we do our news and get into our space picks, I will tell you about our first sponsor, which is Polaris Rising by Jesse Mihalik. And speaking of space princesses, this is <laughs> literally a space princess book. Um, it's about a young woman named Ada von Hasenberg who has fled from her family after her father tries to arrange a politically valuable but very personally undesirable marriage, as is the space princess's want. Um, And she's been on the run for two years, and her luck has run out. So now she has been thrown into a prison cell with a notorious former soldier named Marcus Locke, and she's going to be returned to her father. uh, But the ship that she's on is attacked by a rival noble house, the man that she is supposed to marry. So if her jilted fiancé captures her... 
she will become a political prisoner. So now she has to strike a deal with this uh, notorious soldier that she is locked up with. Um, but, you know, sparks might fly. Things might mm-hmm. happen. She might get more than she bargained for. Uh, so, yes, this is, as we said, a space princess book, which I know a lot of you are very excited about. Um if you are a romance reader who wants some action in your romance, or if you are a sci-fi reader who wants more romance in your sci-fi, this is for you. And it's the first book in a trilogy, so there is more adventure and romance to come. Um, Amanda Boucher, who has been a sponsor of the show before, and also we've talked about her Kingmaker Chronicles, has said this is a gripping and sexy space adventure. Uh, so this is one for those of y'all who find that interesting, of which I am one. I do have this on my TBR. I haven't gotten to it yet, but mm-hmm. hopefully soon. Um, so again, that's Polaris Rising by Jesse Mihalik. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, let's see. So many mm. news things to talk about. I want to mm-hmm. talk about the most exciting thing that has happened to me in a while that I have read about, which is that there was a manuscript found yes. in a Bristol University library with new Merlin material. You guys are <laughs> so excited. I this. knew you would be so excited about this. Oh, I can't even handle it. Like, Arthur is my jam. <laughs> Merlin is my jam. I love it. And this story is just amazing. Um, The University of Bristol's special collections librarian found handwritten like fragments in a book about something completely different from the 15th and 16th centuries. Um, They're like pieces of parchment. And so he like found this in this book and um, contacted a specialist uh, because he recognized the Arthurian names. And when they examined it, they did find, in fact, that it is more material, like previously sort of unknown, all about um, Merlin, which makes me so happy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they, there's this team of experts um, who are working on translating it and also, you know, figuring out like where it came from. Um, and it's it's a different, you know, differences from the traditional story. So I'm just like sitting here waiting. I'm like, I'm ready. Give me give me the new primary source material about Merlin. I was once in um in college, we did we did some readings from like, you know, the Mort D'Arthur and all of that stuff. But we also did like yeah. the Mabinogian and like all of this like old, old stuff. And it was so much fun. <laughs> I love it so much. So that oh was my, my geek goodness. out about Merlin. <laughs> This is like, I can't imagine anything topping this because for you, because I know this is like a big deal. <laughs> and I can't imagine what it must be like to be somebody in like the, what was it that they, they told some people, oh, the International Arthurian Society. Like, can you imagine how often does new information about Merlin come to the right? International Arthurian Society? Like, these books are from like the medieval era like there's not but it's kind of interesting too it's fascinating and like i don't i wonder how much how many texts that could be important to literature are just like hidden away oh in water like this seems to happen not a lot but 
it happens once in a while and it's such a strange thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that they, that, you know, especially when paper and parchment was in much shorter supply, they reused it all the time. Um, yeah. And so like you would find things written in the margins of something else or like, you know, somebody was practicing their copying on a text that we don't currently have, but like suddenly we do have it because they were practicing with it. Um and so, yeah, it's super, it is super cool and interesting. And like, this is like, if I had had a different life, like I would be like this kind of librarian slash researcher. Or like a special <laughs> collections archival librarian, you know, kind oh, of thing. Wow. Like that was totally, that was a, that was a real possibility in my head when I was in school. Um, it didn't, <sighs> didn't turn out that way, but you know, so this is just, this is like from start to finish my jam. So mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? You're not doing so bad. You might not be like, I was just going to say, I can't have no complaints. I have zero complaints. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's so cool. That is like, that's just a fantastic story. Yeah. Um, Okay. I think I want to talk about, because this was kind of big news earlier. I forgot if it was this week or late last week, but the Margaret Atwood cover reveal. Because we knew. that a new book was coming from Margaret Atwood. And it's not just any new book. This is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, which I don't think many of us expected, no. to be quite honest. Like, I was like, okay, Handmaid's, Ta- Handmaid's Tale, book closed. That's the end. Um, and I don't want to like, I, I, this is a classic book, but, you know, I don't necessarily want to give spoilers away. But, you know, the ending was sort of like, you you, you don't necessarily know. and that was just, you know, that happens in books sometimes and you just deal with it. Um, but this one is continuing the story from The Handmaid's Tale and it's specifically continuing the story of Alfred. And so we find out what happens to her because you don't you don't know that in the end of the book. Um, and so they did this cover reveal and... I think people have definitely had some different reactions, the idea of this story. Like the cover is hard. The cover looks very iconic of The Handmaid's Tale. It's called The Testaments. And it has like a silhouette of what may be offered. And um, it's very simple. You you can't really tell what's going to happen in this book. But and there's I can't see any clues here necessarily. But. Um, I think that some people are definitely in very much in the camp of like, did it really need a sequel? Do we really need to know what happened? Was the magic of The Handmaid's Tale, the magic being this bleak and despairing thing, but was the magic of The Handmaid's Tale part of it that you just don't know? Like there is sort of an ominous feeling you're left with. And I'm a little bit I'm not sure what to think myself either. I feel like I can't really avoid this book because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it feels like it's a part of history just like The Handmaid's Tale was and that it's even in existence is like I can't really ignore it. So I'm probably going to read it. I feel really trepidatious about going into it. I'm not sure I want to know <laughs> what happens. Do you have any strong feelings about this? Yeah, I'm... 
I'm curious, I guess is how I will say it. Like I will, I like you, I will likely read it. Um, and I will be very curious. I'm trying to remember the last time I reread The Handmaid's Tale, which it's been a while. Like I might, I actually am not a hundred percent positive. I remember the ending of the original. So I might have to go mm-hmm. back and revisit, um, and so that's interesting. Can I just say about this cover design? So there were very mixed opinions that I saw. And I I like, whatever, it's fine. It is iconic. Um, I did not notice until I saw another article pointing it out that the design on the like clothing that the the sort of oh, silhouetted yeah. woman is wearing is in the shape of a young woman with a ponytail I did not notice that until it was pointed out to me like I guess and now that I've seen it I can't unsee it but it was like this cover was maybe a little too subtle for me <laughs> like I was not or maybe the image I saw was small enough that it didn't pop or something but yeah I did not actually notice details of this cover until I read a piece about the cover that's funny you mentioned that because I literally only noticed that like 10 minutes before we hopped on this call. <laughs> so I'm not alone. <laughs> I was like, what is, <laughs> yeah. well, what is this cover anyway? Because I was actually like reading yes, the article. Yes. And I did notice that as well, which is like, you know, what does it mean? Who right. knows? Freedom, her arms right. are raised. We could go oh, into sure. all sorts of symbology. But yeah, it's an interesting cover. Um it's, this is an interesting concept. I didn't mention this before, but it takes place. It picks up the story 15 years after. If you haven't read it. And it's described as it has the testaments of three female narrators from Gilead. And it says also, this is important to note, that the book is unconnected to the ongoing series adaptation, which is on Hulu. Uh, because those that series, of course, has moved away from the books, which is, was a big thing, too. Mm-hmm. So um, nothing to do with the Hulu series, which is maybe for the best. I haven't, like, caught up on that. I haven't even started, <laughs> to be quite honest. I'm still not ready for that series. Um, but, yeah, that's the latest in the Handmaid's Tale saga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, let's see. I want to talk about a thing that we didn't get to last time, which is the casting news for the Game of Thrones spinoff. Because this is very exciting. It's a much, it seems like it's a much more diverse cast than we got with the original series. Um, So we, so this is for the prequel, which is set thousands of years, thousands of years before the (laughs) events of Game of Thrones. And they had announced a while back that um, Naomi Watts was going to portray like the main socialite hiding a dark secret how very game of thronesy um but then they have also added three black actors to the cast. Um, their names are Naomi Aki, who's also in the upcoming Star Wars. Sheila Atom and Ivano Jeremiah um, are all cast as regulars. And we don't really know what they're playing. Um, you know, we, we don't know much about the series as a whole. So who knows what their characters are like or how long they will live, given that this is a, you know, George R. R. Martin world and everybody dies sooner rather than later, usually. Um, but I think it's interesting. I'm excited to see the continued casting news and like the character news. Although I confess, I mean, I, I haven't been, I haven't watched the show since season three and, um, 
I don't oh, know. Yeah. Like I might watch that. I don't know. I'm jury's out. Jury's out. <laughs> like if I have friends watching it and there's like, cause that was how I watched the first one is that I got invited to game of Thrones night. Um, because I didn't have HBO. Uh, and so if if like if I have friends watching this and like we're all going to get together and watch it together, like I might do that. Will I watch it just on my own? Question mark. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I am caught up. And this is I agree. Like, I feel like it's definitely like a group watching experience with Game of Thrones because you have to like, I don't know, some of the the thrill gets lost if you're just there like shouting at your TV. <laughs> People have mixed feelings about it generally, right. so uh, maybe people would not like some things and would need to vent about perhaps, it too. That's perhaps. a part of it. Um, but this looks really like I'm going to catch up on Game of Thrones. This sounds like it's probably maybe you don't even have to to watch the spinoff. I am curious about the spinoff. Um, you know, like probably a lot of people, I'm always a little bit frustrated about more <laughs> of the Game of Thrones adaptations and things like that when the books aren't coming out. But I've kind of like settled down. I kind of don't really care about the, the last or the next book. So um, I'm really excited about the casting here. It looks like they're actually working on that, which is a good thing. Um, and I'm going to be curious about what the actual plot of this new series is going to be, like the details of it. And who knows? I might watch it. Um, I'm going to It'll really depend, I think, on the trailers that come mm -hmm. out because I'll be able to gauge a little bit of my interest that way. Right now, it just feels kind of like nebulous. This casting news was the most exciting thing that came out about it. Um, and it does pique my interest a little. So, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to watch it. We'll see. <laughs> question mark <laughs> all the question marks mm. today <laughs> all right well i have another well adaptation-y mm -hmm. type story and it's the ghost bride is getting an adaptation which came as a su complete surprise to me uh I don't know. I guess this book has been out for a while, but this happens all the time. And maybe it's part of like, you know, Crazy Rich Asians was doing really well. And maybe Netflix is getting more interested in filming books that take place in parts of Asia, which is fantastic. I think this is great. And I was really excited to see this news uh, because they really like Yangtze Chu. Uh, and she just actually put out a new book, The Night Tiger. So all sorts of great news for Chu. Uh, so this is a Netflix series. It's a it's Netflix Mandarin original series, which I had never heard of until now. But um, I think it must be a newish branch of Netflix. I know my mother watches the series that like the I think it's either the Mandarin dramas or something like that. So that's the only way I know about uh, these series. But um, they are, they just announced the cast of this new latest production, uh, The Ghost Bride, which is about a woman who is married to a ghost. It's exactly how it sounds. And I actually talked about this book, I believe, in an mm -hmm. earlier um, episode. Yeah, I thought so. So it had some like, I loved it because it had some like Jane Austen elements and it was just really wonderfully described. And this is where some of like, I'm really curious to see how it goes because 
the descriptions were so lush and the settings and the world building were so great. Parts of it take place in like, you know, in historical Malaysia, uh, but some of it takes place in this sort of afterlife setting. So I'm really curious to see how it's going to be made and how it's going to be produced. It's a six episode drama. Um, this is directed by a, by Malaysian directors. It looks like it's, it's, uh, oh, okay. It's being written by an American Taiwanese TV writer. It's, they casted Malaysian actors, which is fantastic. It's being filmed in Malaysia, which is excellent. So I'm just overall really excited about this. Um, it's set in 1890s uh, colonial Malacca, in case any of you are very interested in historical fantasy in other parts of the world other than the West. Uh, this is probably going to be a great watch. And I saw the behind the scenes. There's like a behind the scenes on YouTube. And I was really excited just watching that very brief behind the scenes. I was very excited about this. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I Netflix has done some interesting international programming. Like, um, I think I can't remember if I've talked about it on the show before, but I know I've mentioned it in the sci-fi fantasy newsletter that they're one of their Brazilian shows, uh, 3% is like this dystopia that's really intense and amazing. Um, and the Ooh. cast is incredible. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I like cannot recommend it strongly enough. Um, although I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but what I've watched was amazing. Uh, and there was a like a Netflix like India property that I was super interested in. Although of course now I cannot remember the name. Um, and then they were also doing like a Jin story. It was like their first Arabic language piece of programming. So there's some interesting. Th- Netflix is doing some interesting international programming, which I am yeah, yeah excited about. And this looks amazing. I I am gonna watch that behind. I didn't get a chance to watch. The behind the scenes um before recording so but short. i can't wait and because I, I love a historical drama and like i love a period piece and i also love obviously you know fantastical shows so like this is this is gonna be this is this is potential to be awesome yeah i agree really excited mm-hmm. about it good yeah, job good Netflix. two thumbs up <laughs> <laughs> all right do you think i think we yes, should move on yes. perhaps um all right and i think i am next up to talk about our second sponsor and that is (laughs) (laughs) i am so bad at making sure i have everything up (laughs) okay (laughs) we're sponsored by here and now and then a uniquely thrilling genre bending debut novel by mike chen so Where and when would you go for the ones you love? Ken Stewart is an everyday family man working in IT, trying to keep the spark in his marriage and struggling to connect with his teenage daughter. But his current life is a far cry from his previous career as a time-traveling agent from 2142. Stranded in suburban San Francisco since the 1990s after a botched mission, Ken's past is a secret from everyone, despite the increasing blackouts and memory loss affecting him, his time traveler's brain. But one day, his agency's rescue team arrives, 18 years too late. Their mission returned Ken to 2142, where he's only been gone weeks, not years, and where another family is waiting for him, a family he can't remember. Ooh, that's <laughs> creepy. <laughs> This is a part of time travel that creeps me out. So this is described as an ideal book club read. Uh, So if you have a book club, definitely suggest that to them if you guys are looking for time travel stuff. 
Uh, it has the perfect blend of high-stakes sci-fi plot, literary appeal, and emotion as a father travels through time to save his daughter. This sounds like it could be a little sad. Uh, so again, thank you so much to Here and Now and Then, a uniquely thrilling genre-bending debut novel by Mike Chen. Fantastic. Mm. So before we get into our picks, I wanted to have a moment. We didn't say specifically that yes. it had to be space opera, but I was thinking about space opera because in my head, like, that is what this show is. Like, if it's in space, in my head, I'm immediately like, aha, space opera. Um, and I yeah. was curious about your, like, do you have a personal definition of space opera? Because I, I have one, but I don't know if you have one. It's funny because I think, well, I have, like, when I think space opera, I just kind of immediately think mm -hmm. of Star Wars. So anything that has a bit of that Star Wars vibe for me, which is, like, adventures in space, there's fighting between, you know, different groups and rebel groups and things like that. And then there's some romance. And then I, there was another element that I, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, I always kind of categorize space opera as having a little bit of campiness, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. if that makes sense, which is like, and I know like there, there was some talk, like I was actually looking into the definition of it and it sounded like the origin of the term space opera kind of came from a place of yes, insult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I was kind of wondering if that maybe had something to do with this like assumption of mine that there had to be like this sort of campiness. But I think that over time, like the more books I've read that I would categorize as space opera, the less I've necessarily equated it with campiness especially since a lot of people are kind of experimenting with mm -hmm. the genre so but that was a thing that was just like that was part of my understanding about space opera for a long time yeah I mean I think it is I, I gave a talk on space opera once I'm putting on my nerd hat oh um, wow I gave a talk about <laughs> Jupiter ascending and space opera um because I will fight you about this. I do think that Jupiter Ascending is like a textbook perfect space opera. Um, but yes, so the original definition does indeed, like, it's like melodrama. It's like, it's it's basically a soap opera in space is what it is. Um, but I do agree with you that it has evolved a lot since that definition was sort of coined. Um, and I don't think it has to be, like, I think of Battlestar Galactica, I think that's a space opera. Oh, yes. And I do think, I, I think Star Trek is also a space opera. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, there's, these are all, it's, it's interesting. I think the definition shifts. Um, so my personal definition is that it has to involve, obviously it has to involve space, but it also has to involve like, I think like multiple planets. And like you said, like multiple sort of factions or groups. Um, and yes. so, yeah, there have to be. And I was thinking, I was like, does it have to have aliens? Like, no, I don't think it does have to have aliens. Although aliens are certainly can be part of the genre. Um, but yeah, this like multi, like intergalactic is I think key for my own personal definition of space opera. So I wouldn't call something that's just like, I don't know, like maybe the whole thing just take place on the moon. Like that's not space opera to me in the same way that, yeah. for example, Battlestar or any of the books that I'm going to talk about um, are space opera. That's a really good. I'm so glad that you are. You've got your nerd hat on at all <laughs> times and that forever. you've actually done a talk. <laughs> I feel like I learned so many things. 
Uh, <laughs> but that's great. Yeah, I absolutely agree with your definition. Um, I would not think of a story just set on the moon as space opera at all. So, um, and yes. speaking of definitions and wobbliness <laughs> about it, um, <laughs> my first pick, I'll talk about my fantasy pick first, because this is one where I feel like this is a space opera, but I feel like it might be some people might argue with me about it. So I also wanted to give a shout out to Saga, the comic by Brian K. Vaughn mm-hmm. and Fiona Staples, which is like very space opera is basically like totally Star Wars inspired. And it's about, you know, two star cross, well, not star cross, but two people in a romantic relationship from warring factions who have a child and it's just a fantastic comic book that i comic book series that i'm not caught up on but i have heard a lot of like there it feels like there's a lot of like drama among the readership just because of you know plot development so i've been kind of closing my ears to any (laughs) conversations because i don't want spoilers but it's a really great a really great comic book series and if you're looking for comics that are um space opera you should definitely check out saga but my fantasy pick is mirage by samaya dowd and this is definitely space princesses we're coming right (laughs) back to space princesses um, and the story is set in and around this planet called Andala, but it starts on Cadiz, which is a moon of Andala. And then on this moon, we have Amani. And when we meet her, she's just about to be initiated into adulthood. She's 18. She's going to go through this rite of passage that's held on to by her people. And it's one of the few things her people, the Kushila, have been able to hold on to since the Vath arrived from the planet Vaxor and wreaked havoc. But even though there's misfortune all around her, Amani's never really experienced this struggle herself. She sees it in her, you know, the consequences of her mother's life and her father's life. She's never had that experience herself. Um, She just sees the results of this war all around her. And that changes very quickly. Uh, She's stolen away to Andala, where the Vath Imperial Palace now stands. And Amani always, she's a dreamer. She's always dreamed of visiting other galaxies in the star system. And she she probably never would have wished for the misery that ends up awaiting her at this palace. Because it turns out she she looks almost identical to the half-Vathek princess, Merim. And their similarities turn Amani into this pawn for the court. And they use her as they please, uh, namely in protecting Marum. And not only does Amani have to get used to a completely different mode of life, she's separated from her family. She doesn't know if they're safe. Uh, she doesn't know how they're reacting. And she has to learn how to be Marum, to play this part, and to rub shoulders with these courtly types. And with the princess's fiancé, Idris, who is a very handsome man. Uh, and she has to live among the Vathek and their king, who basically tried to extinguish her people and who continue to try to wipe out their language, customs, and stories, and just rain horrors on anybody even vaguely suspected of conspiring or trying to rebel. And they're just generally intolerant and inhumane. And the conversations about prejudice and perceptions of savagery are really clear here. Uh, but within the walls of the palace, Amani learns what people on the outside can't see about the Vathek and the powerful people around them. So I would definitely recommend this book to readers who enjoyed The Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Mayer instead of uh, Fairy Tales Mirage 
incorporates mythology and tales of heroes and poets. And it takes place in this Moroccan inspired uh, system, basically, this galaxy and these moons. And the descriptions of the language and the stories told by Amani's people are so wonderful. The relationship dynamics in the story are also unexpected in parts, which I found satisfying. There is some, there is definitely space travel in this. She travels around uh, to the moons around this planet. It doesn't necessarily all happen in space. It takes place on these different planets. And also, um, but this is definitely like character driven, plot driven. And when we get a character who's a bit of a dreamer, one of the things I really liked about this story uh, Amani is this dreamer and she enjoys poetry and possesses a lot of this sense of wonder. I, I've always felt like these characters tend to be categorized as kind of meek or shy, at least when they start out. But right from the beginning, Amani is really self-possessed, not at Marum's level for sure, uh, as she learns all too quickly, but she's really quick to stand up for herself and her people. And I really loved her character. And Marum was great and complicated as well. Like it was interesting to see these two very different young women who happen to share a face um, exist in these very different head spaces and then begin to see past Marum's hard, cruel exterior as the circumstances and intrigues she lives with become clear and to see Amani's role in her life shift. So it's got some space travel. There are some adventures where... Amani gets to actually explore the galaxy like she wanted to, but in kind of a miserable way. Um, it's a sort of a be careful what you wish <laughs> for situation. Exactly. Don't necessarily wish to travel around the galaxy. Like be a little <laughs> bit more detailed about what you want out of your space travel adventures. <laughs> Maybe not being smacked uh, in the no. ankles with a ruler if you slow if you slouch a little, but. Um, yeah, so it's, it was just such a great story and I was completely invested in these characters. So if you do want more princesses in space and why wouldn't you, you should definitely pick up Mirage by Samaya. Yeah, Dow. it's space princesses is the unintentional theme of the day. Mine is also, um, it's a spark <laughs> of white fire by Sangu Manthana and it is, I described it on Twitter as a Cinderella story set on Deep Space Nine inspired by the Mahabharata and i stand by it like it is a really <laughs> amazing premise um it is yeah amazing. it's amazing uh the main character esme um has been raised in an orphanage on this one space station um wickstar or is it witch star i'm not sure how to pronounce it um and she is now like i think she's 18 or 19 and she um she knows who she is, but she has been raised in obscurity. And there is an upcoming contest to win ownership of this unbeatable warship named Titania. Uh, the king of Wickstar is like throwing this competition. Um, and she sees this as her opportunity to like brings herself out of obscurity and reconnect with the family that she was separated from when she was a baby. And, you know, like, and that family is a royal family who happened to be enmeshed in this political struggle. They've been exiled from their home planet and, you know, a, a relative has taken over the throne. And so she's like, I'm going to win this competition. I'm going to get the unbeatable spaceship and I'm going to use it to help my family and they're going to love me and welcome me back. And it's a beautiful plan and it's definitely not what's going to happen. <laughs> Poor <laughs> oh she just broke my heart um 
So she does, she does win the contest and she does meet her family, but nothing else goes according to plan. And she becomes enmeshed in this political struggle where it becomes increasingly unclear to her who is on the right side. And so, yeah, it's very like, oh, what is the, I have this idea of who I am and where, how I fit into the world and what the world is like. And suddenly I just don't know anymore. But like, also I'm on this path and like, how do I get, I, I don't necessarily want to step off of this path. I have this plan. Like I should execute the plan. Right. Um, and it's really tense and like, Oh, there's so much good action. And you're just like, Oh, who to trust? Like who, who to believe? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's really great. And Esme is such a great main character. She is very gifted at strategic planning and she's been trained, um, by an older general to be like very physically talented as well. She's got mad skills is what I'm saying. And, um, but she's like, she's not really good at people. She's just not really good at people. And so watching her trying to navigate that situation is both like a little bit heartbreaking and really like gripping and compelling. Um, and what's interesting about this book too, is that I think a lot like Saga, actually, this is a, this is an intergalactic, you know, technologically advanced setting but there's also magic in this world so for example ever since she was little she has been visited by the goddess amba um who has like given her a talisman to protect her from harm and who like warns her against entering the competition in the first place and esme has learned to recognize gods when they come and go so she sees other people perhaps get you know interacting with deities as well um and there she has a magic bow, which is awesome. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's like it's a and it feels really seamless. You know, it just all works together so beautifully. Like, of course, there's magic. Of course, there's deities, you know, meddling in the lives of mortals. And of course, there's rules about how that can and can't happen. And there's de destiny and prophecies and curses. And oh, it's just so rich and satisfying. Um, I loved this book. I loved it. And I, it is the first in a trilogy. <laughs> fair warning. The ending is oh ugh, like a heart a little heartbreaking and and a cliffhanger um so be prepared for that um but yeah it's it's really good and like the central question is really what does it mean to be a part of a family and like where do you find that family and then what would you do for that family so it, there, the stakes are really really high and also it's like you know political machinations intergalactically speaking so yeah i i loved it um so again that's a spark of white fire it's the first in the celestial trilogy by sangu mantena that's a really interesting point like you can really write a seamless fantasy set oh, yeah. in space i was i was shocked kind of by how i didn't even notice that you know this is this is two genres mm -hmm. kind of in one especially with Mirage as well. So yeah. that's cool. I would like more of it, quite frankly. I I love when I love when you mix the peanut butter and the chocolate, right? Like give me both yeah. give me both of those <laughs> things. <laughs> that's a good metaphor. Okay. Uh, my science fiction pick is Ignite the Stars by Maura Milan. I'm so glad I got to read this book. Um, I've been wanting to read it ever since I saw the cover at Book Expo like last year. And then I learned that the main character, a young woman named Ayakocha, is this bloodthirsty villainous outlaw, which is like exactly the sort of character I enjoy reading about. So I was really excited to have the opportunity to finally sit down and read this book. Um, so Aya is 
infamous. She goes by many names, Sovereign of Dead Space, and my personal favorite, the Blood Wolf of the Skies. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> a little dramatic. That Just a little. Uh, but she's kind of this like Arya Stark sort of character. She is out for blood. She's taking no names. She's avenging her people. And she's really fearsome. Her name is Legendary. Also, everybody happens to think she's this big, burly, scar-covered older man. <laughs> she's not. She's a smallish 17-year-old girl. Um, and on the other side of the ring is the Olympus Commonwealth, this, which is this imperialist nation that carries itself around the universe like everything belongs to it. I think you will recognize this nation when you read about it. Uh, but the people <laughs> of the Olympus Commonwealth have a lot of pride and a lot of prejudice. I had to say that. And seriously, <laughs> <laughs> I could not. <laughs> seriously, there's something like really familiar about the way the people of the Commonwealth turn on the refugees living among them, and particularly the Tawny refugees uh, there are also Tawny citizens of the Commonwealth, including Bryn, who dyes her hair and does everything in her power to keep everyone outside of her family from learning she's Tawny. <coughs> Excuse me. And Bryn's struggling with her mother's insistence on remembering that they're Tawny. Like, her mother is very proud of the fact that they're Tawny. Bryn, not so much. She just wants to fit in. You know, she's a teenager. Uh, she doesn't want to become a target as well because, like, it's an actual safety concern. And uh, as a patriotic, she's very patriotic, as a patriotic member of the Commonwealth, uh, Bryn sees Ayacocha as enemy number one, along with everybody else on, on the Commonwealth. But unfortunately for Bryn, she ends up getting way more FaceTime with Aya than she ever expected or hoped for because Aya ends up getting captured and is, as her penalty... She's forced to train in the Commonwealth's Hidden Military Academy, uh, where Bryn also happens to be. So the story shifts between three perspectives. Uh, there's Aya's perspective, Bryn's, and then there's another character called Knives. And Knives is a young instructor at the academy with a past that, or, you know, relationship connections he's kind of hiding. And he's charged with this task of making sure Aya doesn't escape which is definitely not an easy task. Um, but the more time he and I have spent with each other, the more they see kind of past this dividing line to some shared thoughts about the Commonwealth and the way it deals with things. And the shifting perspective really worked for me here because I liked all of the characters. I really enjoyed getting to know all three of them. And I found them compelling in their own way. They obviously have their own um, goals in life. Uh, and Aya was my favorite, hands down, though. She was just fantastic. And this is kind of a slow burn to the space adventures. Like, it starts out in space, and then a lot of the middle of it takes place uh, at this military academy, and then we get back out in space. But it's definitely there, and the journey to get to this space adventure is really fun, especially when it comes to Aya's behavior at the academy. She just doesn't care about following the rules, and she's full of surprises. But the story had a bit of that Battlestar Galactica feel as we were talking about. Even though the Academy isn't like in a ship, it had that ship-like claustrophobia and forced camaraderie where you have to work side by side with people you despise, but also you kind of form unexpected bonds with people you're getting to know. 
Um, but yeah, it was fantastic. The relationships and the trials they go through were really interesting. Um, and I didn't expect the book to be as funny as it was. Like you get these timely themes about nationalism and refugees and prejudice. And you also get these moments of kind of dormitory comedy. So I love that. Yeah, it was so fantastic. I was so surprised by a lot of it. I just loved it. Uh, it didn't disappoint. So if you're looking for space adventures, military academy comedy and drama and political clashes and some romance, of course, you should definitely pick up Ignite the Stars by Maura Milan. So my sci-fi pick is The Wrong Stars by Tim Pratt, which is the first in a series. Um, I will say it has a pretty, it, there's like definitely big unanswered questions, but I was, I found the ending very satisfying. Um, so if that helps you out, uh, if you are a series waiter. And the second book is already mm-hmm. out. And I think the third one is out this year. So it's, it's moving right along. Um, and it is about, it's a, it's a spaceship crew story, which I always love. Um, um, yes. And so, yeah, so the, the crew of the White Raven are like freight and salvage uh, mercenaries, as it were, like they work for hire, they, you know, will transport things from one place to another, they go out and they find things um, that they can salvage and then sell. And uh, they also do like a little bit of light, like, you know, hired law enforcement when they are hired to do so. Um, but mostly they're just freight and salvage. And they're out exploring, like, a pretty well-trafficked area. They're passing through a well-trafficked area when they find, like, a centuries-old spaceship just sort of drifting. And it's nowhere, like, it shouldn't be in this place. It certainly shouldn't be newly found in this place, because where could it have come from that somebody wouldn't have found it already? Um, Like, it's a big mystery. And then when they go in to, like, retrieve it, they find out that it has an occupant who's been in, like, deep sleep um, in cryo. And when they wake her up, she's screaming about, like, first alien contact. And they're like, shoot, how do we tell her... That we've been coexisting with aliens for like a hundred years by now. <laughs> like, ugh, this is not news, lady. Like, it's too late. <laughs> So the so Elena, who is the one who was the occupant in in cryo sleep on this old old vessel, is like hundreds of years out of her comfort zone. She's like got to catch up. She's but what she's telling them sort of doesn't match up with the alien species that they have been dealing with, and they haven't come across any other aliens in all of the space exploration. So there's some big question marks here. Um, and they take her back to the most like the nearest space station to try to start figuring out like okay how are we gonna profit off of this ship find and what do we do with her um and she's trying to figure out what to do with herself and then that space station gets blown up and so now they have to figure out like who killed an entire space station clearly it is connected to this like centuries old spaceship which is nowhere that it should be and like what is this other alien species that she's going on about and what happened to her and her crew um so it is very actiony. There are high stakes. There's great alien sequences. Um, and it's the character interactions are so good. Uh, you mostly follow Elena and Callie. Callie is the captain of the White Raven crew. And there's like a great queer romance. And oh, I just like, I loved the interactions of the crew with each other. I loved the storyline. I loved how there are moments when you think the story is sort of going in a 
very stereotypical direction. And the book sort of even like winks at you and acknowledges it and then takes like a hard left and goes somewhere completely different. Mm-hmm. And I, I like a little touch of meta from time to time if it's well done. And I really did love the way Tim Pratt did that. Um, and I also really loved the liars, the, the main alien species that you're dealing with. They're so interesting and weird and fun to read about. So again, that is The Wrong Stars by Tim Pratt. It's the first in the Axiom series and the second is out already. And that's it for our show. Huzzah! Space is done space. for now. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll revisit space, I'm sure. We'll revisit it. Uh, so thanks, as usual, for listening. You can always email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please, if you like our show, review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. Uh, you can find us online. I'm on Instagram at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you, Jen? You can find me on Twitter. It's Jen IRL, and that's Jen with two N's, I-R-L. And thanks for listening. Bye.